Do you want to know one of the most important elements to motherhood, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond? Advocacy. There are so many aspects of motherhood where we will need to advocate for ourselves, and it starts at the very beginning. As a mama in training, you will be needing to make many very important decisions that will outline your birth map, birth preferences, or most commonly called birth plan. For example, are you okay with having an IV? With baby monitoring? Do you want to wear your own clothes to give birth? Do you want to be able to eat, walk around, have access to a tub or a shower? These are just the beginning of the preferences that we need to evaluate. Then, when we've made those decisions, we need to have the strength or the support of a doula to encourage us to advocate for those decisions in the moment. In today's episode, childbirth educator and professional doula, Stephanie King, joins us to share her personal birth experiences and the drastic difference she had in births from her first to her third, and how she had to advocate for herself consistently. Learn from Stephanie the important questions to ask, how to find the perfect provider for you, and how to truly advocate for yourself as we go on this journey into motherhood. Stephanie is also the host of the podcast, Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy, and she also is the creator of a fabulous online birth course called My Essential Birth. You are listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, and welcome back to season three. After 100 episodes, I am so thrilled to be kicking off this new season. Here at Mamas in Training, my mission is to give aspiring and expecting moms guidance and community for moms who have been there. And I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. However, I'm not yet a mom. Medication that I've been on for an autoimmune disease has delayed my journey into motherhood. And while I'm happy to say that I am now medication free, there is still a waiting period while it leaves my system. So. I've decided to learn all about motherhood before I actually am one, and we're on this journey together. Stay tuned as we learn from Stephanie King and what she wishes she had known before becoming a mom. And now, on to the show. So let me say that with my first baby, I had no idea what to expect about birth. I wasn't interested about birth until I was pregnant. And it wasn't until I was more pregnant, like third trimester pregnant, that I was like, oh, dang, this baby's coming out of me. I wonder what's going to happen. I knew yeah. there was something in me that was like, I, I wanted to go unmedicated the whole time. I didn't think of much in the way of, of anything other than I want to experience this to its fullest extent. I want to feel everything. Yeah. And so I absolutely did wing it. <laughs> now, would you say for those people who might, because a lot of women feel this way, I'm pregnant, it's fine, I'm going to go with it, and I'm going to... I'm not interested like you were. Would you try to encourage women who are expecting to dive in more or even who are mamas in training like myself to dive in more to it? Oh, I would highly, highly encourage you to do the research. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. all about that. 
Um, I do have women and I know of women who are the opposite of that, where they decide I am going to do it this way or whatever. Sometimes that works out okay for them. Sometimes they, all of their pregnancies work out that, that well for them. The other times it doesn't. And those are the ones that come really looking for a change. I fall in that category. Yeah. So yeah, that first pregnancy, we didn't do a lot of preparing. I found a book online on Amazon. I remember reading a birth story that was part of the intro and I was like crying because I'm, you know, <laughs> almost having a baby and I'm at work and you just bawling. And, uh, but I looked from like, oh my gosh, they have to have classes nearby. And I looked and it was this three month series and I'm, you know, almost going to have my baby. I was a couple months away and I, there was just no, there was no having it. And so mm. I ended up winging it, right? We took all the hospital classes. We took the good patient classes as I like to call them. <laughs> and my husband and I went into that birth, you know, uneducated and he didn't really know how to help me. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, in the way of contractions were coming and I was forcing against them so tight because that's what I had seen in the movies. Literally, that's all I knew. And one thing led to another and that, that birth ended with an, in my opinion, my educated opinion now, an unnecessary cesarean birth. And it was traumatic for me in a lot of ways. It was beautiful in a lot of ways. I became a mother that day and all of the blessings of you're like, oh, well, healthy mom, healthy baby, everything's fine, right? And that's that's like the bare minimum that we ever want to talk about when we're talking about giving birth, right? That's, of course, everybody should be healthy and well. How is mom made to feel? How is she? Were you a part of the decision making? Were you respected? Did people ask your opinion? You know, it's your body, but sometimes it's not treated that way. So that led me to, I have to get myself really educated. And then you compare that in contrast to that third birth where we were coming from overseas, moving stateside. Now I had had a vaginal birth after cesarean with my second. So I contact the local hospital that we're moving to with my third. And they say, oh, we don't care that you've done that before. We plan on you having another cesarean. And I was like, no, (laughs) hold up. (laughs) So that's when I am like, I got to do all my research. I found a local doula. I found a local midwife. I didn't have a desire to have a home birth. Um, I had had epidurals with both of my priors. Just there were things that this wasn't my my desire, but Mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to have another cesarean birth unnecessarily. And I knew I could safely give birth to my baby vaginally. Wait, the second birth, you said it was a VBAC? Yep. A vaginal birth after cesarean, but just because... The first one was a cesarean. The third one was saying it would absolutely be a cesarean. Yeah. We don't do that at this hospital. You'll need to plan for a cesarean. Oh my God. How dare you? Right? Seriously. Imagine saying that. You've already had that success and that (laughs) accomplishment that so many women strive for that then you just take that away from you, literally rip it away from you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right? So I'm over there panicking. I mean, to an extent, but I'm also resourceful and I'm like, forget it. I'm going to do all the things. So I interviewed, we were still overseas. I interviewed the doula. I contacted the midwife and I set it all up. And that birth experience changed me forever. It wasn't my intention to be a birth educator. It wasn't my intention to be a doula. My intention was to have the best birth that I could that was right for me. And Mm -hmm. what happened with that experience was instead of when I was saying things like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I can't push this baby out. I can't make it past this point. Instead of them saying, let me get you some medication or you've been doing this too long. Let's have the, the doctor come and do the epidural and we'll talk about cesarean. They said, yes, you can. You've been doing it this whole time and we're right here. You're doing great. <laughs> that small amount of support and love yeah. and encouragement, it's the world. 
and it changes everything. So instead of letting the mind go, which your body reacts to saying, I can't do this anymore. And it starts shutting down. You have somebody saying, but you are, and you can, and I'm here and you're safe. And your body reacts to that. And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I can do this a few more contractions. I can handle this, this uh, discomfort. And I had a, a really incredible, very spiritual experience when it came to pushing out my baby. And that experience changed my life forever. Um, I'll just share it really quick here because it's it's magical. I think every woman deserves to have an experience like this. And that's why I do what I do today. But I let me just pause you for one second. Just be a little careful. I'm getting a little uh, reverberation. If you're if you touch on the desk, I should know better. Yeah. Yeah. Or just keep them away from the desk. Yeah. I just don't want your uh, words to be influenced. But yes, please. I want to hear that. It's amazing. Get my hair out of the way. I usually have a hair tie on my. Okay, <laughs> it didn't work. So I'd been pushing. Well, my husband will joke. I had been. You can't see my air quotes pushing right for four <laughs> and a half hours, and I'll tell you why. Because it was scary and a little uncomfortable, and having to push past that pain to get your baby out is a little intense. Yeah. And so I was doing the like, okay, I'm gonna hold my breath and then <sighs> I'm gonna let it out my nose for a little bit, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I was also getting exhausted. And I had to walk myself through, if I can't complete this task, what does that look like? Well, I'm gonna, we're going to have to call an ambulance. I'm going to have people in my, my home that I don't know. All the lights are going to be on. It's 4 in the morning. They're probably not going to be very nice to me. I'm going to go to the hospital. They're going to do all the things, and I'm probably going to end up with a cesarean birth. Never mind that I'm ready to have a baby. I'm 10 centimeters dilated and ready to push. I'm going to have to exactly. go through all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I tell my husband, I'm like, go make the bed. I'm getting out of the tub. We're going to have this baby. And when he went upstairs, I, for the first time during this, now, mind you, I'm a woman of faith. I'm a Christian woman. I believe in prayer and all this. I hadn't prayed or said anything of the sort the entire labor. My husband goes upstairs and I have this prayer and I just said, Heavenly Father, I can't do this. I need your help. My husband came down the stairs and he said, okay, I'm going to pick you up. Let's go. Let's do this. And I said, no, it's happening. And I had this force go through me oh, and that baby, <laughs> that baby was born in two pushes. I was like, yeah. if I can do this, anybody can, and they deserve to have the ability and the opportunity to do it. Absolutely. So that's what, what birthed, right? Like the whole, yeah. like why I do what I do today and why I'm so passionate about it. It was incredible. Well, and I, oh gosh, that's so beautiful. And I just got chills up and down my body when you said that. I think too, you know, no matter what your beliefs are or how you live your day-to-day life, I think it all boils down to our topic today and the thought and the knowing that no matter what you're going through, no matter what outside sources there are or opinions that there are, if you know deep down in your heart what you want and what you can do and you believe in yourself and that and you proclaim it out loud whether it's to a heavenly father or it's just an affirmation to yourself or whatever greater energy that there is in the world you will be given the the power to make the decisions that you need and I originally asked you what you had wished you had known (laughs) The amazing thing is the slew of responses was just fascinating. However, the key thread that was woven between all of your answers was this idea of advocacy. You said things like this. Not well, first of all, not only do you have options in every sense of the term and throughout the entire nine months and beyond, but you have to advocate for them. And those are things like 
and many more, but things like hiring and firing providers, that's a possibility. The fact that you are the consumer, you said, and that they work for you. The others were options that you have for pregnancy and birth, like we just mentioned, and not only what you maybe learn from hospital classes or from your OB or whatever. The fact that you can have an absolutely beautiful birth as long as you're prepared and armed with knowledge to do so. And that unfortunately, maybe you might have to fight for some things, but you have the right to do that and you should do that. And so this idea of advocacy is just so key to that beautiful story that you just told, because I think it's knowing all of these things, doing the research, if we are able and we have the time, whether we're a mom in training or we're an expecting mom or Even if we're a new mom, you know, there's always ways to prepare. Maybe we have another child in the future and like you, we can do it differently. But I'm I'm just loving this conversation today that we get to have because you lived it completely. And I think it was when you owned that advocacy that you were able to clearly see a change in experience from one to the other. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Everything you said on a soapbox times 100. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I was listening today to episode 20, Assembling Your Birth Team of your podcast. And I was literally on my walk to my OB for my first preconception appointment. And so it's so exciting. It was fascinating listening to this episode because I had all these thoughts running through my brain from that episode when I went in to, to chat with him. And it was all about advocacy and like all about what do you want for yourself and for your birth and for your pregnancy. So I think that's a great area for us to dive into because advocacy needs to start at the very beginning when you're picking your birth provider and and then it starts to trickle down. So how did you find that you needed to advocate for yourself in especially, I guess, the third pregnancy from the start, from the very beginning? Yeah, so this is where I kind of joke that it's like the chicken egg situation, right? Because you need two things to have a really great birth experience, in my opinion, where you do have that advocacy. Number one is you need a really good birth provider. And number one is you need to know what to ask. You need to have the knowledge to be able to have a good birth provider. So they really, they go together, right? But so if you don't have the knowledge to know the questions to ask, if you don't have the knowledge to know what kind of birth you want, what that really, what the outcome looks like and how to get there, then you're not going to be able to match up with the provider that's going to fit that. You can have a provider that seems so lovely and is really nice to you. But if you guys clash on the important things, like you know that you don't want an episiotomy, you know that skin to skin is really important. You know that, you know, you don't, there's induction doesn't, you don't want that on the table, you know, starting at 38 weeks but your provider doesn't feel that way, or you don't even know you have to ask those questions or that those are mm-hmm. things that are going to concern you, then there's, you're going to not match with that provider. Mm-hmm. So luckily by my third pregnancy, I had a lot of that knowledge and we were revisiting that knowledge myself and my husband. Now m- what's on, important on my birth plan or birth map, as I like to call it, right? Different paths to the same destination mm-hmm. that I desire. What's really important to me might not be really important to you. And I'll give you an example. One of the top things on my list, two of like my favorite things to talk about, like don't stick an IV in me. I don't want it, you know, (laughs) not interested. And I want to wear my own clothes. And that might Mm -hmm. sound so silly, but that's my comfort. Like if I am having to worry about some draftiness in the back there, it's like, you know, I just, and this scratchy robe, that is so important to me that it hit my birth plan. I have to be Mm -hmm. in my own clothes. 
And so I think once we're able to, and I kind of talk about this creation of like sit and meditate and walk yourself through what that birth looks like. You had your first contraction. Where are you? What are you doing? What are you wearing? Mm -hmm. What does the house look like? What does it smell like? Are the lights dim? Walk yourself through until when you give birth. Where are you? Do you even end up at the hospital in your vision? Are you at the hospital? Are you at home with your husband and you're in bed, but you didn't realize it until I asked you to visualize that that's what you wanted. So once you can meditate and visualize, this is how I want it to feel. This is how I want it to look. These are the people I want in the room. These are the noises I want to hear. Then you can work that back and decide, this is the provider I need to find. And this is these are the questions I need to ask to make sure I'm getting that kind of care. It's so important because you're, you're 100% right. These are things, and this is why I love talking about this and I love learning these things, because they're not necessarily something that the, anyone would think about. I mean, I would never think that you even have the option to wear your own clothes. You know, it wasn't until recently that I, I really heard even that you could not have monitoring or that you could request to not have an IV. I mean, someone who really has an actual fear of needles or anything like that, that could be something really important to them. I want to make sure I direct people too. you have an amazing list, a PDF of birth provider questions that I'll link in the show notes. But is was it from your experience that you kind of gathered these questions together? Yes, it was from personal experience and professional experience. So what were the questions coming up when I taught birth classes in person too? What were the questions that women were having either because of their providers or with their providers that were coming mm. up? And so we, I've even gone over before, like, here's your red flags. Like if your provider yeah. is saying this, like red flag, you know, and exactly. I, I love the idea and what you do on your podcast about this, not only advocacy, but mamas in training, in other words, figuring these things out and getting educated on them beforehand. But I do want to stress too, that you can be a mom at 36, 37, 38 weeks, and you can still fire your provider. Yes. You can still advocate for yes. yourself. You can, I have, have had a woman during labor like that's enough. Give me a different provider. That's enough. There is literally no time that you can't say, I don't want this person in my space. You're done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. That's powerful. You have every yeah. right to do that. And I think we just every now and then need that extra boost from people like you to remind us of that and tell us that because I feel like I'm a very strong person and I do this podcast and I talk about advocacy all the time. But even today, walking into that appointment, you just kind of like, you feel small for a second. You feel like I'm going into a place where everyone's an expert and I've never done this, so I don't know anything. And that's just not true because you know what you want. You know your body more than anyone else in that building. And that's the most important thing to, to remind yourself of. The one thing that I wanted to ask that I was really thinking about today, actually, so this timing of it is perfect, is like, okay, I'm not even expecting yet. I don't want to walk into the appointment with my OB and just vomit all of these questions. He's going to be like, whoa, there, hold your horses. So how do you recommend us going about this, this whole process of figuring out if this person's right for us? Yeah, I think personality is huge, right? So that's probably your step one. Like if you know you can say things to your OB, if you know that you're getting the amount of time and attention that you need out of an appointment, you don't feel like they put things off when you talk to them. There's just some basic like bedside manner and good communication skills that I think need to match between provider and patient. And so the, I think number one, right? That's kind but of then, step one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Step one. But the next part is now I need to have the knowledge and figure out what I want for my birth. And then we create this birth plan or this birth map. In other words, 
these are my list of all of my preferences and I like to break it down. Let's get it on one page and say these are the most important ones. That's not necessarily something that you want to bring in and slam in your provider's face and say, just so we're clear, this right. is exactly <laughs> how I want my birth to go, right? It's just not going right. to go over well. The birth plan or the birth map, the idea behind that is that it gives you talking points and brings up questions between you and your provider. So if you're asking them things like, you know, how about for a mom like me who's healthy and low risk, and this is my first pregnancy, I've heard of some women like around 38 weeks being offered inductions. Is that something that you do? Or what does that look like for you serving me and allowing that conversation to happen? There's other questions, obviously, like if you know you want to go unmedicated and bringing that up, like it's really important to me or, or not having an IV. You know, it's really important to me that I that I don't have an IV or that I'm able to eat during labor, these are just some things on my mind, you know, how do you feel about that or going unmedicated? If the response comes back that, oh, first time moms, trust me, you're going to want that epidural, which is not an uncommon thing for providers to say to women, which blows my mind. If those are the kinds of things coming up and they don't match what's going on with you, then you know, okay, well, that's great. I'm going to interview someone else. And a lot Mm. of the times that we see is the, I'll have moms, especially within the Facebook group now, right? But they'll ask, they'll say things like, I'm not sure about this provider and this and this keeps happening. Like you feel it, but you don't realize it quite yet. It takes right. you a second mm-hmm. until you interview another provider. So that's always going to be my recommendation. What's the harm? Go see one more provider. Go meet with a midwife instead of an OB. Go to the birth center instead of the hospital. Just see what it feels like. And you will know really quickly where your comfort zone is. You know, when I have women that do have providers that they're not sure about and they see someone else and it's a night and day difference for them, they're like, why did I wait so long? Why didn't I trust that feeling? So I think it's really important that you, you know, not be so scared or feel like you have, because I'm guaranteeing you, your provider doesn't feel that way about you, right? This idea of like, oh, well, they're going to feel bad if I like switch providers. (laughs) They're on to the next. (laughs) Yeah, they don't don't have that connection that we think we've got to like hold on to them or something. So uh, yeah, it's really important to take your time and and make sure that you give yourself the option, give yourself the freedom to go and reach out to someone else. There are some things that I sit and I wonder like, okay, am I going to feel stupid if I ask this question? Like, is this an obvious thing? For example, like I would love the option to be in a bath or a shower. Is that something that you're only going to really get at a birthing center or at home? It's never an option. You know, how do you know if there are certain things like that that are just kind of common? Because I do start thinking like, am I just going to sound stupid? You know, are they going to laugh at me? I mean, I guess if they do, then that's not the right provider. That's right. the answer. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, how how do you kind of, are some of these things just like you should research? They're researchable first before you go ahead and ask? Do your research. I say, ask it anyways. I call those the put the foot in the mouth question. Ask the stupid question. See how the doctor responds. How does that make you feel? You know, but I will say the other thing I'm going to tell you to do is also wherever you plan to give birth, like your provider might be able to attend births at two different hospitals. The hospital policies at each of the hospital might be different and out of the provider's control. So you need to take the birth tour right? Like every hospital's gonna, they should COVID, you know, maybe mess that yeah. up a little bit, but they should be able to offer you like a labor and delivery tour and they show you the rooms and then they'll talk about some of those things. So when you come in, you'll get monitored. Some of them will openly say, you don't have to be monitored the whole time. You can have 20 minutes on for every hour, or this is what we do. You know, here's, here's the showers, here's the baths, mm. you know, and others will 
act a little differently or their policies will be different. So some of it is research. Some of it is going to be your provider. Some of it's going to be the hospital policies. And then some of it is that might be how you like to practice, but I still have the right to refuse the IV or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, so they can have a policy, right? Oh, everybody gets an IV. You still have the right to say, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. Even though you're going to be strong armed, you know, feel like you're being strong armed to it. Or are they going to say, no, you don't have that option. Like that's, this is the way that we do it. I guess that that's the difference. Yeah. Well, they could on some things they can, right? Like on, yeah. but, but you still have the right, like the IV right. is a big one. Like you could know right. at any point you can say no vaginal exams. It's the same thing. Well, we have to, if they start saying things like that, that's what happened to me with my first pregnancy. You know, the nurse came in and she said, well, the doctor said we need to put you on Pitocin. And I said, did he use the word need? Like, I need to, are you sure? And she said, yes. He said, you need. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, put me on Pitocin. No, there's no, there's no need. No, I could have said no, that, no to that. There were other right. options. Yeah. Right. Because I, so. I mean, I love that you challenged her with saying like, did he really say this? But it's so easy for someone to just say, yeah, he said that. I'm trying to do yeah. my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just like, let me do my job from the nurse's yeah. point of view. Oh, but, it's true. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think. It's that fine line that as a first-time mom, we're unclear of, you know, how far to push the envelope and how far yeah. to actually say and know, like, this is not healthy. You know what I mean? Because, like, God forbid something does happen and there's an emergency, you know, you can't fight against that. It's it's life or death for either you or sure. your child at that point. But where is that envelope? Where, where do you, you know, push that? So... What are some other needs that people might say, oh, you need to do X, Y, Z? Yeah, that's a great question. So before I get into that, I want to address your pushing the envelope thing. Ina Mae Gaskin, who is like, right, famous midwife. Are you familiar with her? Maybe a little bit. I've heard of her. Yeah. Okay. She's excellent. She's got a book, Spiritual Midwifery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another one too. But she talks about this in a way where she's like, "If if it's something that is so emergent, you won't have time to ask the question. But if it's not, here's how you find out, right? You could say, can my birth partner and I have a time to talk about this for a minute instead of doing whatever is being recommended? And she said, if you really want to clear a room, say, we need a moment to pray about this, right? She's like, (laughs) (laughs) I'll kick everybody out for a moment. If that's the case, if that's the case, it doesn't need to happen right then right? If mom Mm -hmm. and baby aren't doing well, if the heart rate is really dropping so much that that baby needs to get out right now, you're going to have 10 providers in your room. It's going to be a crash C-section and you're going to be grateful for modern medicine, right? It's a different thing. So some of the things that we talk about that are like need or not need, right? And some of that comes from the education too. So I just mentioned the heart rate. Now we see this commonly, especially with moms who have epidurals. They're leaned back in the bed. They're in a single position. And now they've added medication, which can affect baby's heart rate. It affects mom's heart rate, affects everybody. And so sometimes that heart rate, all of a sudden, baby wiggles their way into a position and it's maybe not the best one. And so they see some heart rate dips and they continue to see those. Well, as a mom and as an educated mom, I'm going to tell you, yeah, we've got to switch. You have to turn your body every 30 minutes, get on one side, lift your leg, get on the other side, have your leg lifted. The best thing that you can do for a heart rate is a new position. 
But if you don't know that and you're stuck in that single position and the heart rate's getting worse and worse, then yeah, we have created an emergency. That's not always the case. I'm not going to pretend to be a medical provider and that I know all the things. Right, right. But still. But I've seen it firsthand as a doula. Some other things that moms are told that they need. So right when you walk in, right, you need to have a vaginal exam, which is pretty much they need to know that you are in active labor. And sometimes first time moms could have a little while to go. And it's actually a benefit to mom if they say, oh, you're only three centimeters, right? And I'm saying only with air quotes again, because it's not that right. your body isn't doing crazy good work. But right, right. They, they have to gauge it off something. So if they say you're right. only three centimeters, you get to go home and not have to be at the hospital for a long mm-hmm. amount of time, you know, that's a benefit to you. I'll add in a little um, pin to that one as well <laughs> and say that I've heard that you, which I didn't know, you don't need, <laughs> you don't need to even know what that number is. So you can nope. request, right? You can request from to the nurse or provider or whatever that I actually don't want to know how many centimeters I'm dilated. And I've interviewed somebody who actually said that, you know, they had one and then two pregnancies. And in their second, they asked and requested to not know the number and they actually dilated much faster. And it's just all, you know, a mental thing that they got out of their yeah. head. Yeah. It, it's a big deal. I'm totally with you on that. That was very much, I think if you want to know, if you're curious and if the hard thing is, is like sometimes if that number's low, you can get in your head about it. If it's higher Mm -hmm. than you expected, then it excites you and you keep going. So just be Mm -hmm. aware that it can go either way, but it's your right to know or to not know. But yeah, when you come in, it's like you need to put on this hospital gown and wear these socks. You need to have an IV or at least a saline lock, which is where they place the IV, but they don't attach it to the wire, you know, in case of emergency, which is what they're going to tell you. If there's a crash C-section, we need to be able to get a line really quick. My response is always, I'm pretty sure that's your job to know how to get that quick. I'm going to trust you to do that. <laughs> you know, I don't want the IV in yes. me. I don't want to have to think about that snap, all day. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> yes. um, the other is monitoring. No, we need to be able to monitor for this much time. Um, we need you to stay in your room. You can't walk around that much. We need you to be laying down if you have the monitors on. No. You can be walking around with a monitor. You can be sitting next to the bed on a birth ball. You can be moving around. You can be on the toilet. Like you can come monitor me without the monitors and sit there for 10 minutes with a Doppler if you really need to know. I'm going to sit in this position and be comfortable. I'm not saying no to monitoring, but I don't have to be hooked up to the thing. Mm. So there's a lot of things as you work through labor. Yeah. The I need Pitocin. You know what? Your contractions have stalled out. You've been sitting at a four for six hours and now your contractions are spacing out. We need to use Pitocin. Why? Because you want to speed my stuff up? I'm Mm -hmm. actually enjoying the break and bodies take breaks and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wait and let it see if mom and baby are fine. I would like to sit and relax for a little bit and let them space out. My body will kick back in when it's time. Or Mm -hmm. if it's, there are some things that we can do and I, I am ready to get things moving. Okay, let's try walking. Let's try nipple stimulation. Let's try some acupressure points. Let's try clary sage oil. You know, there are some, let's try making out with your husband. That's a real yeah. thing. Endorphins <laughs> and oxytocin. There are yeah. so many things that you can do. And it's such a medicalized, you know, policy organized approach that doesn't allow always for mom to really dig in deep and listen to her intuition and be trusted and have a safe space. You know, the number one thing a doula does, hold space. I am yep. just there so that your space is comfortable and you know you're okay so you can do your thing. Number one. And I think that's the the element that kind of wraps this all up into a bow too, is if you have the financial ability and an option to have a doula, 
that person, like just listening to you, I'm like, okay, if yeah. I was in that room and I had Stephanie Dula next to me, yeah. I would be like ready to go and no one could stop us, you know? But I can imagine, you know, like I said earlier, when I walked into that hospital today, I, I felt a little small for a second. And I'm not a small person. I, I know that I take up space and I have something to say. And the fact that going through something so foreign for the first time is really essential to make sure that, you know, and, and your partner might be able to do it for you, but your partner's also going to be going through a lot as well. And so to have that other support of a doula is just, it's just so, so essential. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you had mentioned if you can afford it. And I think that that is a wonderful thing. It, you can find a newer doula. There are so many ways. I don't want women to think that they, that you can't have one because of financial means. You know, mm. I, doulas have done trades and I mean like baked cookies, like they've traded cookies or meals or <laughs> sewing an apron or cleaning a house. I mean, there are so many different ways that you can have somebody in your birth space to advocate for you that I hope you don't look at the number that is in your area and you're like, oh, mm. the average is between 500 and a thousand dollars. There's no way there, there is a ton of ways that you can find somebody to, to come and advocate and support with you. And I, I shouldn't say that advocate. We can't like doulas don't advocate for you. Right. Like yeah. our job is to make sure that you can advocate for yourself for yourself. But, right. But they're there to give you all the information and stand by you so that you feel right. strong in doing that. It's just that little angel on your shoulder being like, yep. by the way, you don't need this. Or by the way, you can say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Usually I'm sitting there whispering when mom's pushing and they're like, okay, they're counting to 10, one, two, three. And I'm like, you can take a breath if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you don't exactly. have to push for 10 seconds if you don't want to listen to your body. Yeah. Oh my God. So good. What are some other pivotal moments of pregnancy and birth or even beyond, you know, postpartum phase that we need to really advocate and that advocacy is really key. So what jumps out to me, and this is going to come from personal experience again. And so obviously I want to, you know, lean on moms for that. You mentioned postpartum. I did talk a lot about the, the pregnancy part of it. I think as soon as that baby's born, there's a ton of stuff. And now you're not just advocating for yourself, right? You're advocating for your child mm -hmm. too, which actually is a little easier as a mama bear, right? To advocate mm -hmm. for your baby than it is to advocate for yourself. But that can include things like, I want to wait to cut the cord. I want them to get all their cord blood. I want them to be skin to skin with me right away. I would not like the erythromycin because I know that I don't have chlamydia or some other things that are going to transfer to my baby's eyes. I'd, I'd like to wait on a couple of these things like the washing of the baby and the weighing of the baby. And then moving into things like if I choose to or don't choose to vaccinate for hepatitis B or whatever it is, uh, I had a provider after I had that first baby. So I just went through a traumatic birth experience, at least for myself. I'm here sitting, like barely able to sit up because it's painful after you have a cesarean and take care of my baby. I'm emotionally spent. And the pediatrician comes in because I had said I would like a circumcision for my baby. And so I meet with the pediatrician and he goes off on me about, I also wanted to wait on the hep B. This is for me. Whatever moms want to do for themselves, yeah. I absolutely yeah. support that. I wanted to wait. And he went off on me in front of the nurse, in front of my husband, about how terrible of a mother I was, how he couldn't <gasps> believe anybody would do that, how I was putting my baby in danger, how I couldn't, he, he could not be my pediatrician if I chose to go that route. And I uncontrollably was trying to hold it back, just started bawling. Luckily, when he left, the nurse came to my rescue and she's like, that is so, it, it was so not okay. And I'm so sorry. And it's your choice and you can do whatever you want. And you're a good mother and just all these things. And I am just bawling. And so <laughs> I want to be Anyways. like, uh, can you put up a lawsuit against him? <laughs> like, what can we do against this? 
Well, and then I have to think, and this is the guy that's doing my baby circumcision. Like, please don't botch that. You know, like, I don't like you or trust you or this is scary. And anyway, so yeah, you will, you do come up against a ton of things and you will for the rest of your life. And for the rest Mm -hmm. of being over that child, you will have to choose what's right for you through all knowledge and education and everything else that we've talked about for you, for your body, for your children, for your family. And that'll go child to child and pregnancy to pregnancy, but it's your right. So I'm sitting here listening to you mention all these unbelievable things, both in pregnancy and birth, and then the immediate postpartum phase. And it feels a little overwhelming. And then I know that you, you know, essentially have nine months from when you start to get pregnant and then you have this time and sort of feels like a long time, but I'm sure it flies by. So what is a recommendation of just like starting to slowly gather these things together? Like we don't just sit down one day and then make this entire birth map, right? Like it's just one step at a time knowing what we want to advocate for, right? Yeah, I think you know, the beauty of it is that you do have a full nine months that you don't have to make all those decisions right away. And that those things can change as you learn and grow. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we do as women or as a community in general, is we reach out to each other and we bounce ideas off of each other. You'll notice too, that certain people will have certain opinions about things. And so you might become a little bit more careful about who you're asking questions to or looking for information from. So one of the things I think is really excellent to do is, and you have a membership, right, is community. Mm -hmm. And I think online communities are incredible because it's not just your local community, which sometimes local is depending on how big or small the area or whatever is, they can kind of be stuck in their ways. Like realizing that there's people all over the world, all over the United States that feel differently or, or maybe match whatever you're feeling that might sound crazy to the people that you've bounced it off of. So I think community is really big. And when you find other women who are talking about advocacy, who are standing up for themselves and supporting one another, all of a sudden you're going to feel a little stronger in being able to do those things for yourself. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Stephanie, you're such a badass. I wish I lived near you so you could be my doula one day. We might have to get together here. Oh gosh, for sure. Can you please share with everyone your unbelievable online birth course, My Essential Birth, and how people can uh, learn more from you and from your massive amount of experience? Thank you. Yes, I would love for anybody to come check me out. Come join me in the birth course. It's myessentialbirth.com. That's got all the information there. I also have a podcast, as you mentioned, Pregnancy and Birth Made Easy. I think my favorite thing about having a podcast is probably like you. You can really dive deeper into some of the issues and really connect with your community in a way that I haven't found I can do any any other way. So that's really beautiful. There's some downloads and stuff, obviously, on there. And then you guys can follow me on Instagram at myessentialbirth. YouTube is in the works. So go check yeah, it out. My essential birth. <laughs> Slowly but yeah. surely. One thing at a time. The, exactly. on, the birth course is, is the most essential for sure. Because yes. that's Come where people can get course. immediate help. Yeah. Right. Oh. And obviously when you're in the birth course, you get put into a private online Facebook community and I'm in there and other women who are going through the same thing or have been there who can, you know, that's part of your community. So Love it unbelievable. All those notes will be in the show notes for you to have easy access to. And gosh, I, this is just, you know, it's kismet sometimes the way that timing works out for things. And the fact that I was like, 
out of all your hundred episodes, I was like, I'm going to choose this one. And then I'm listening to it like, this is perfect for today. So thank you so much for just being a, a really integral part to my day and making it beautiful both before and now. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I don't think Stephanie. those kinds of things happen on accident. So I'm I with agree. you. Yeah. Thanks I so agree. much for having me. You're welcome. I don't know about you, but I feel so empowered to find the right provider. And I hope you now have a better understanding of the important questions to ask. I didn't even know that you could request to wear your own clothes, and that would be so much more comfortable. So step one is to visualize your birth, what it looks like, what it feels like, and then you can start to know what's really important to you. So you can start to ask those questions. Advocacy is the number one thing that I have learned from this podcast. And if you learn nothing else from this episode, remember to advocate for yourself at all times. As Stephanie mentioned, community is everything to help encourage you. If you're looking for a community, I have two opportunities for you to get support right away. First, join our free Facebook community, All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and instantly be welcomed by a group of strong and powerful and supportive women. Secondly, I would love to have you this month as a guest in our next monthly membership circle. This is a group that meets online at the end of every month. There you get support from each other as well as from past podcast guests that I invite to come and visit us so that you can ask questions to them directly. For a free pass to that, send me just a quick email to info at mamasintraining.com. Include your name and that you'd like to join us in the monthly membership circle, and I'll send you a link. I can't wait to meet you and see you in both of those communities. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>